Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. the great shot podcast a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin have a slightly different episode for all of you listeners today we're going to veer away from our wimbledon coverage and talk about something very pertinent to the professional tennis world now some of you may remember back in august of last year the formation and announcement of the ptpa the professional tennis players association novak djokovic vashik pospisil founding the organization alongside many other ATP players to try and upset the current status quo in the dynamic between the players and the ATP association. We've had some development on the PTPA front over these past few months. They finally announced the formalization of their organization. They brought in an advisory board, a communications director, and an executive advisor as well. Many developments from the PTPA that are certain to have ramifications more broadly across the tennis world. So we wanted to talk about that topic today and there's no better guest I could think of to do so with than the guest joining us on today's conversation a returning champion here on our Cracked Racket shows you may know his work from Sports Business Journal Sports Business Daily it's my friend Brett McCormick who joins me to discuss again the latest developments in the PTPA we also talk about the continuing conversations of merger talks between the ATP and WTA tours and so much more is a fascinating conversation I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy of course, before we can get to that conversation, I have to take care of a little business and remind all of you listeners the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out here on the Great Shot podcast feed is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Turn of Tennis. You guys know it's the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched. If you would like that iconic trademark blue color on the end of your racket, you can contact or uh, you can call or email, I should say, both are forms of contacting our friends at Turner by calling 1-800-554-3707 or emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Again, that's 800-554-3707 or sales at uniquesports.com. 
ecsports.com. You mentioned Crack Racket sent you. You'll get either college pricing, some free samples thrown in. More importantly, they're just going to treat you like family. So again, to join the turn of family, contact sales at uniquesports.com or email or contact, excuse me, email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With all of that in mind, Westoff, leave all of those stumbles in. But let's get to now my conversation discussing all things PTPA with Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. You may know his work on sports uh, for the Sports Business Journal. You may also know his fantastic podcast series, the Return Man Podcast. Good I know him. That's my friend Brett McCormick. Brett, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, good morning to you, my friend. It is great to have you. And I have to say, I was a little bit upset that you veered away from our shared love of tennis. Nevertheless, the Return Man yeah, podcast that, and that was, was fascinating. I imagine it was fun for you to get So into I was action. just wrapping that up on the side. That, that actually had no connection to my current job. Uh, that was tying up a long-term thing, uh, which Sports Business Journal allowed me to do on my free time. So that was nice of them. Um, but yeah, that, no, that was a labor of love. Anybody, uh, I, w- I would love for anybody to check it out. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, and uh, a lot of the comments say that there's too many commercials, but that's iHeartRadio. And it has nothing <laughs> to do with that. So no. I, I don't like commercials either. But. Yeah. You got to pay the bills. No, absolutely. Hey, from one professional to another, you do what you got to do, right, to get the job done. But no, it it was a fascinating project. And again, for you to get to hop behind the podcast, Mike, I imagine in general that was a fun experience. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, lots of uh, lozenges and water. And (laughs) you can can hear, I think, in one episode, I can't remember which one, where I had a sinus infection. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, that was that was an interesting experience. It's it's very uh, taxing to record a podcast because you, um, you know, say some of the same stuff over and over and over and over, and you're talking in uh, like a abnormal way, not a natural way, like very diaphragmy and uh, you know enunciating extremely clearly, like more than you normally would. So it's it's like a different way of uh, of talking. It's it's like closer to singing. Welcome to the club, my friend. You find a cadence. You have to find a different voice, a different personality. You guys don't know this. I'm a completely different person in real life. I'm (laughs) quiet. I don't approach people. I don't like to talk to anyone. Uh, But the podcast, you got to be outgoing, right? You got to make people think. And that's the best when you have to find that narrator voice where you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, July 12th, 2006. Imagine. Um, And no, again, I thought it was excellent for whatever it's worth. It was really, really well done. And so, again, and a shout out to you for all of your work. People can find the link to the Return Man podcast if they are interested on your Twitter feed at Brett Just One T. But of course, as as great as the Return Man podcast was, that is not the reason we wanted to have you on the show today. What we wanted to talk about is that we've got some off court potential business-centric news from the tennis world, in particular the PTPA, and for those who forget what that is, the Professional Tennis Players Association, which we saw emerge at the resumption of the tour last season. That was, of course, Novak Djokovic, Vashik Pospisil's effort to unionize the players. 
happened. Just a reminder for all of our listeners, in case they've forgotten where things left off, the rollout of the PTPA did not go exactly as scheduled. At the time they rolled it out, while they did have some players committed, there were only men's players committed to joining the PTPA. And at the time, what was their platform? What did they stand for? The answer to all of those questions were very, very unclear. The one thing we knew, the PTPA upset with the status quo in professional tennis. Beyond that, we didn't know much. Now, the relationship between the PTPA, the ATP Players Association, and the conflict between those two, Uh, organizations has continued to manifest itself and in particular there was an incident I don't remember what tournament it was at but perhaps some of you remember Vashik Pospisil on court expressing his dissatisfaction to the chair umpire with ATP president Andrea Gaudenzi who he said called him the day before chewed him out for x amount of time So the conflict is still somewhat fresh, we'll say, in everyone's mind. But the big development here over the past week, Brett, and this is where I promise I'm going to let you start talking, is that the BTPA has finally started to formalize all of their efforts. They hired an advisory board. They hired an executive director. They hired a brand and communications director. What's going on at the PTPA, Brett? What should us fans know as it looks like they begin to formalize that organization? Yeah, they're trying to get their act together. And, you know, in a perfect world, they would have done this last year. And, uh, you know, it's difficult for active players to get these sort of things together. Although, you know, they did have a lot of free time last year, more than they've probably ever had in their entire lives. But um, this, you know, this is what they would have envisioned (laughs) uh, coming to the table with last last August, 10 months ago. But uh, all the same, better late than never never um you know uh one thing uh that was interesting to me is they've enlisted uh carrie gerlock cecil uh to lead their brand and communications um she's been with uh anishelle for 22 years she's a ceo and partner there um and works in crisis and strategic communications and what she calls and i'm not sure what to make of this digital brand terrorism <laughs> so one of the things that I think everybody realized uh, last year was they needed some PR help. <laughs> and so, so they've got that. That's, that's very uh, important for them. Um, you know, especially as, I mean, they, they did not fare well in the public relations uh, battle lines that were drawn up, you know, after their um, hurried launch uh, at the U.S. Open. So uh, that's going to be key for them. Uh, they hired Adam Larry as the executive director, and he comes from uh, the world of NHL, uh, where he worked for the Players Association. He's been involved in like uh, licensing and, and revenue generation, uh, which is you know good if you're a Players Association. That's one of the one of the things that the American PAs do really well is you know make make extra money for their uh, for their members. So, um, and then also uh, one of the board members, Michael Hirschfeld, uh, has led the NHL Coaches Association since 2016. So also comes from that hockey world. Uh, the, this board and this outfit is extremely Canadian-centric, which uh, probably would stem from uh, Vashik Pospisil's, uh, you know, uh, crucial role in the PTPA. He and uh, Novak Djokovic were the, the founding duo. Um, there is a sports law expert, uh, Katarina Kietlovich who's, uh, I believe, based in England, and then a couple of billionaires um, that are also from Canada, including uh, Anton Raby, who um, is co-founder of Spin Master Corporation, which is known for uh, uh, kids' toys like Paw Patrol. So next time anyone listening to this with kids, 
uh, is, is, you know, watching Paw Patrol with their toddlers. Uh, they can know that they are indirectly supporting, um, you know, labor, uh, tennis labor organizations. <laughs> so um, interesting group. Like, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> one thing that really jumped out to me was uh, nobody from tennis. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that that's not like a major oversight and think that um, think more that they are trying to steer clear of tennis people because of, you know, one of the stated uh, issues that they're having with the status quo is, is the conflict of interest. Um, and really the, with the way the sport is, you know, I, I think it'd be difficult to find somebody, <laughs> you know, who's available and interested that, that doesn't have some sort of possible conflict or that, you know, may not be, perceived to have one um you know i i could see where there could be friendly player friendly tournament directors or somebody like mm -hmm. that that might have had a role here but you know again i i think that them not having somebody from the tennis world is is potentially on purpose i i think uh they have a um today's friday i don't know when this podcast is going to come out but they they have a uh, press conference later uh and i can um, imagine that someone will ask you know why there was nobody with uh explicit tennis experience uh, involved in this organization um so um but they have a logo um you know and, and they they also received a statement of support from the national uh from the nba players association you know the night that they they released this information earlier this week so you know um one thing that i've noticed with players associations in the u.s especially like uh the nwsl uh you know which which just started one uh, is they really help each other a lot. So that, that, uh, having that, um, recognition from some of these more established groups. And I mean, I would argue that the NBA players association is maybe the most powerful on the planet, um, is, is very important and good for them, you know, cause they, they will, you know, if they're smart, they're going to reach out to them and, and ask for their help and guidance, you know, in, in some of these things they're trying to take on. So this was, this was a big week for them. They kind of, you know, really got their act together. It's 10, I would say 10 months <laughs> late but you know again it's 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 um definitely better late than never uh for for them to have any chance of of uh changing you know the status quo that they're talking about no yeah, i absolutely agree with you all of those points are noticeable and i kind of want to run through them point by point to again break down where we are at here and let's start with the fact that again following the announcement of an executive director of these uh communications and brand directors of the advisory board to your point uh the nba players association i believe the nhl players association as well there was just a coordinated effort in support of this independent uh professional Tennis Players Association, and that is not what we saw in August. In August, it literally felt like, let's throw a dart at a dartboard, whatever sticks, that's what we're going to call the PTPA, and that's just what it's going to be. And that level of coordination, that level of organization did not exist in the early months of the structure. And so, you know, again, to and I, it, I know it's a tough question to answer for any of us who aren't directly involved in that conversation. And to your point, I think it, the reason there aren't a lot of people directly associated with tennis right now as part of the PTPA is because they're persona non grata. Because there's an order out: do not associate with this. If you do, you're done in the tour's mind. And for lack of a better term, tennis is a very incestual world. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's connected to everyone. It's really difficult to step out on the current uh, if players organization if you want to maintain any facsimile of power within that organization. But the, the question now becomes, you know, again, why now, Brett? Why 
10 months later, when a lot of us aren't thinking about this, when we're finally starting to get fans back in the stands and we're starting to finally see, you know, prize money and things of that nature return to normal, why now? What what led to, in your opinion, this development, this formalization of the PTPA over these past few weeks? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. That's another good question for the presser today, but I would say that the timing around Wimbledon probably has some, you know, some influence. I mean, that's one of the um, couple times of the year where even the non-tennis sports media is paying attention, uh, you know, and, and Djokovic is probably, I guess, one of the favorites to win. So, you know, he'll be, he'll be doing press deep into the tournament. Um, and so I, I think that's a good opportunity for them. Uh, also, I mean, it's, it's clear that, like you said, they've been, they've been putting in some work behind the scenes. Uh, it, it was good to see that there, there had to be some sort of coordination with uh, the other PAs because um, the player associations, cause they, you know, uh, wouldn't just randomly, you know, kind of willy nilly tweet those things if they didn't think that this organization was legit and worthy of support. Um, also something uh, that, that is really critical to what their to their announcement now is um especially ahead of wimbledon which is a uh, men's and women's tournament is that they're involving uh women uh this uh, anybody of any gender or gender identification um and they do have apparently uh wta members um which was another you know enormous whiff uh last august um and and it really was just a, sort of like a an own goal you know something that that they hadn't even you know it seemed very uh, sincere that the intention was always to involve the women. Uh, it's just they came together so quickly that they weren't able to get um, everything lined up. But they've, they've done that now, and, and so I think um, that's another crucial development for them. I, I mean, I really don't know. I can only think that uh, uh, Wimbledon has a big deal um, to do with it. You know, maybe they would have done it before the French Open if, if everything was ready. But, um, you know, I, I, I think... I can only guess that the timing uh, um, being before Wimbledon is is a key part of that. Yeah, and if I may add one element, I, I'm going to play some speculation Jones here as well, and it was a statement released by the PTPA, and you can read it on their website, ptpaplayers.com, but they also were responding to this 30-year plan, and they called it a backroom deal, and just their statement starts out, the ATP Tour Board of Directors is in the process of rushing through a vote to secure a 30-year deal that will provide 30-year licenses to the Masters 1000 tournaments and aggregate even more rights, including player data, under the ATP umbrella. Recently, it came to light that there are, that a private equity firm called CVC Capital Partners is considering a minority stake worth $600 million in ATP media they go on to say what does it mean for the players nobody but the atp knows and they don't want to provide details the atp is negotiating backroom deals in secret to their own advantage and it's time the players have a true seat at the table now is there some hyperbole in those first two paragraphs there's no denying that but you're not doing your job if you don't throw in a little hyperbole try to get the fans on your side that being said we've talked about the value of the data rights before when we've had you on the show we've talked about the fleeting sources of revenues within tennis and they go out to point further, tennis ranks fourth in popularity worldwide with more than 1 billion fans globally. However, it generates only 1.3% of the total value of global sports media rights. Can you make sense of those numbers, what all of this means for our listeners, Brett? Yeah, and I like that those uh, stats came from that um, 30-year plan. 
So they're using a ATP's own uh, research <laughs> against it, which I like. Um, yeah, so that that was the plan that uh, the strategic plan that uh, actually I reported about mm -hmm. uh, right around the time that uh, the PTPA came out, and and some people had, you know, kind of thought that this was a quick reaction to the PTPA, but it was, you know, in actuality, it was the plan that uh, Gaudenzi, you know, uh, applied for the job with in mind. So, um, yeah, the, the, those are numbers though that that speak to the uh untapped potential of tennis uh and i think that the players uh in the atp are right to think that they need to be getting more out of out of the sport uh in the wt as well um that you know this is a sport that it doesn't fit neatly on tv um you know it's it's really kind of as a professional sport it is uh really fallen by the wayside in the u.s you know, which is the biggest sports media market in the world. Uh, and so there, there are definite issues with the sport that are, are very complicated to solve. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how you fix a, a tennis into a TV window unless, you know, you do something like Patrick uh, Moritolu is, is, um, you know, doing on the side, but uh, yeah, I think those are um, legitimate gripes for the players. I think the ATP media role is, is really kind of murky. Um, that's the entity that, uh, the ATP along with the, um, masters 1000 tournaments are the shareholders of, uh, and it, it generates really probably a huge percentage of the money that, uh, the ATP makes. Um, and it, it sells the, uh, media rights for, um, you know, the masters 1000s tournaments as well as some others. Uh, the big, the big vision is to bundle you know, all tennis rights together, uh, barring, you know, the grand slams. Uh, I mean, that would be the, the biggest vision would be including them as well, but, you know, you can see where they would, um, be difficult to convince, uh, to join that pool, but that's the, the big vision is to get all these, all these tennis rights into one big package, which you can imagine, you know, has more value. I mean, the, the, the streaming, um, uh, providers that we subscribe to are the ones that have the most stuff, you know, the best shows, the best collection of stuff that we want to watch. And so, you know, when you can bring a sport like tennis, that's so fragmented, so broken up, um, you know, different levels, different countries, um, different, uh, uh, genders, different, different tours. I mean, it's, it's just very cut up. If you could bring all that together in, in one bundle and go to the market with it, you know, you would be able to do pretty well, especially in certain countries. Um, and so that's kind of the big vision. And I think it's uh, very fair for the players to ask, you know, like, how, how are we being involved in this? What, you know, what are we getting out of this? Because obviously without them, <laughs> there's nothing to show. So mm -hmm. I think uh, the strategic plan, you know, I think part of what Godinzi gets uh, frustrated about is that his first, you know, year and a half is really, uh, sucked in. you know, I mean, the pandemic kind of ruined everything. And then, um, I think as, as things were just starting to, they're trying to pick up the pieces last fall, you know, the PTPA emerges and, um, you know, which was another gripe that people had with their timing was, you know, you just were having, uh, you know, the, the first major, uh, the first grand slam, um, since the pandemic started, it was a Titanic effort. Uh, you know, and then they, they kind of did that, which made them appear ungrateful, which, you know, 
they probably weren't, but it just, it really wasn't good timing. And, and for, I think for Godenzi, there's a lot of frustration because the PTPA leadership previously uh, to this statement this week had, you know, sounded like it supported uh, the strategic plan, like that they, they agreed with a lot of the principles and stuff. And so maybe they've read it more closely or maybe they've learned more about it um, that they don't, you know, agree with or, or that looks fishy to them. But, um, you know, I think that's where he, he gets frustrated with uh, with this. Is it's, it's another roadblock in, in um, the plan that he has, which, you know, uh, objectively is a smart and strong plan, I think. Uh, now, how it how equitable it is for the players versus the tournaments, you know, is 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 something that is worth debating. But it's a smart plan to try to bring together this, you know, disparate, uh, disjointed sport and try to bring it together and, and you know, maximize its uh, commercial potential. Hey, Crack fans. Before we get back to today's episode, I just want to let all of you listeners know that all of the content we produce here at CR is made possible due to the support we get from our friends over at Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming equipment in the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, folks. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. And in a twist of poetic justice, I think our friends at Manscaped know the grass court season is upon us here in the tennis world. In honor of that grass court season, they just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. You can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most sensitive region of their body with this exclusive offer for you. You can get 20% off and free work Worldwide shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. That's right. They let us stick with the tennis theme. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. And look, a little personal testimonial. I think anyone who's met me in two seconds will be like, eyebrows, thick, legs, very hairy. Guess what? It looks that way everywhere, folks. And I can tell you firsthand, Manscaped gets the job done. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com and make shaving time your favorite time. Manscaped.com. The promo code is NEWBALLSPLEASE. No, the aggregate. Yeah, no, the aggregation of rights is something that has to happen in tennis. There are too many competing entities. There are too many individual slices of the pie that no one gets to feed in or realize how big is the total pie. And you know, again, to get to a point the PTPA made, and and I perhaps they read your article and just pulled this fact directly from you. Uh, but it, they say in 2019, the professional tennis market, ATP, WTA, Grand Slams, generated $2.2 billion in revenue. Overall, the players made just 17.5% of this revenue. And let's be clear, about five players made 2% of the revenue and the rest made just 15%. That's a discussion for another time, but they go on to say, comparatively, professional golfers make 22.68% of the revenue, MLB, NFL, 40 7% NHL, NBA, soccer over 50%. And by the way, you made a comment that is probably the subject of its own podcast series. Is the NBA PA the most powerful union in the world right now? Like that is a fascinating question that you posited there. They might be, right? Like that is, they may be one of the most relevant unions. Anyways, that's a discussion for another time, yeah. Brett. Them, yeah. and, them and baseball. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
It's fascinating. Sure. Like the AFL CIO is like, what about us? They're like, what do we do wrong? <laughs> um, but no, like it's it's a legitimate case to make. But anyways, you talk about the players getting a seat at the table, and just again, what would does that manifest as for itself? And you know, part of this is. And it is worth mentioning once again, if there's no Novak Djokovic associated with the PTPA, I think we can be honest and say it would be a blip in the radar. But let's be clear, Novak's the guy right now. He has outsized power in these discussions in a way few, if any, other players do. And so, again, I guess, like to say what is the goal, they make it clear. Their goal is to delay the vote on this 30-year plan, to try and figure out exactly what it is, try and guarantee a bigger share of revenue for the players. But like, how does that goal manifest itself? And again, I know these are questions for the presser, Brett, but uh, is that the short-term goal just now to put a stop to this 30-year uh, plan for the ATP? Because that doesn't feel very productive. Yeah, I don't know. And, and, and you know, there were, like when I talked to... Um... Stacey Allister, um, the tournament director for the U.S. Open last year, she said the USTA was not eager on a vote either because it was a huge deal and that, you know, everybody was still picking up the pieces from the pandemic and Mm -hmm. that they needed to wait. So I'm not sure that that's like going to be that difficult to achieve. You know, like I think there are other entities that would be on the side of the ATP that are also saying like, you know, this is a good idea, but like, hold on, like, slow down, let us catch our breath. And like, we need to, we need to really make sure this is a good idea. Like, it sounds great, but like there, you know, there are, again, like there are all these little intricacies with tennis that you got to be sure you got to follow the thread to make sure, you know, to see where the revenue goes and and, and, every, and how it's all cut up. So, um, no, I think, I think, uh, I think that might be something that they're, I don't know. Again, I'm speculating. I mean, they may be like playing that up because it seems likely that a vote wouldn't necessarily happen so quickly. But then again, you know, you have this CVC Capital Partners interest um, in, uh, you know, combining the two tours commercially. Uh, and, and that was apparently they were pushing for a vote on that from both boards by the end of the month. So, you know, maybe it, it is moving quicker uh, than than we thought. I, I don't really know. It's It's hard to say. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, that's that does seem kind of counterproductive for the sport generally. But I mean, the players' associations, you know, have have really like one, you know, one major thing that they're worried about, and that's the players, um, you know. And so I don't think it's. I mean, uh, you know, I know some people. It's it's always difficult for players' associations to win the uh, battle of public opinion uh, because owners can just say, "Oh, you're greedy," you know, without. <laughs> without looking in the mirror, you know, but, yeah. but I mean, a player's association's job is to get better pay for the players. I mean, that, that is always a fundamental, uh, you know, baseline objective of any mm-hmm. player's association of any union is to get better pay. So it's not like, it's not some scandalous or, you know, really crappy thing to say. I mean, and again, like their stat, you know, which I think sounds pretty accurate is, is damning. I mean, they are really, you know, the the partnership between tournaments and players is is really lopsided right now. And so, I think, you know, they could double what they get, and they still would be behind, you know, most of the major American sports. So, um, I I think that you know it, it's it's smart for them to try to push for more involvement. Um, but you know, I know Godenzi's like patience is really limited on this, and you know, it, it'll be interesting to see um, how much he's uh, willing to involve them. 
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, two factors that loom over this all that make negotiations different between a professional tennis players association and other uh, professional athlete unions is there's no one figure for the PTPA to negotiate with directly because it's not like the ATP tour uh, that you uh, that organization is the umbrella of power it's it's all of the various different tournaments it's all of the various different federations each different uh, each different entity holds a slice of power and so it makes negotiations like these so difficult because it's not just three voices in the room it's 300 voices in the room and yeah. it's just not as formal of a process and then of course there's part too, which is just from a legal perspective makes things difficult, is that it's an international union and there are different laws yeah. applicable in different places and trying to negotiate that as tennis players is a nightmare. And that is part of, again, things we've talked about before, why it's been so difficult for this, uh, for any sort of players union, let alone the PTPA, to form over the years. You also just have such conflict of interest between what the player who's ranked 312 in the world wants and the player who's ranked 12 in the world wants. Right. But these are all topics we've unpacked in the past again another thing that looms in these ptpa discussions and was a big topic last summer is the ever-growing bond we'll say between the atp and wta tours and this gets back to the aggregating of rights and trying to get the entire tennis world under one umbrella what updates do you have from us from that realm brett and again how do those negotiations loom over this third year plan loom over everything that's happening uh, regarding the ptpa yeah i mean this is this is tough to find find out anything about um you know when you get when you get private equity involved um it it gets a, a little more difficult to get people to speak even off the record but um this to me is is interesting because this is happening faster than I would have really ever imagined it. Uh, this you know coming coming closer and and I was talking to uh, uh, a source um, who was on the ATP agents call the other day and he intimated to me that the uh, branding departments of the tours are is now one are are already together um, and so that's something that would be in the background that you wouldn't uh, see publicly that they would never announce but. Um, you know they're already this uh this is already kind of starting to occur and so um the 600 million dollar uh, investment is interesting because uh this i think when we look back at the pandemic uh from like a business perspective in 10 years or so we'll really see that uh the rich got richer uh, mm-hmm. i guess actually in a total global perspective that's that's true as well but uh if you had uh capital ready to deploy if you had cash burning a hole in your pocket uh, heading into the pandemic, this was an incredible opportunity because uh, on one hand, it created a lot of distressed assets, you know, a lot of companies that were in deep trouble uh, and suddenly, you know, didn't have as much ability to say no. Uh, and then also you had uh, companies or organizations or properties or whatever that uh, were not necessarily distressed assets, but the pandemic made them think twice. And, I, and with this, I think about a lot of sports business um, acquisitions that have happened in the last couple of months of like kind of what you would sort of call like mom and pop shops that were very successful, but just not very big, uh, didn't necessarily have ins- insulation from, you know, things like a global pandemic. Um, but, you know, in their own right, were had, you know, really strong client lists and were very well respected in their industry. Um, suddenly joining with a company that was, you know, much bigger uh, to kind of provide that 
um, safety net for the future. And so the ACP and WTA tours, I, I see kind of straddle the line between those two. I mean, brand wise, they're very strong, both of them, uh, especially the WTA. I mean, you know, the success of, of, of that is, has been well documented. I mean, it's the, the most lucrative women's sport that exists. Um, but the, the pandemic absolutely, uh, smashed both of their bottom lines, really hurt both of them. Um, and exposed the really, really exposed the, um, vulnerabilities of, of both of them and also of, uh, professional global touring tennis. Mm -hmm. So it makes a lot of sense to me as I think about it a little more that this is happening a little quicker because, you know, basically everything was, was put under the light of day, you know, that, that, that is, um, the potential risk for the WTA and ATP. And, you know, now is the time to, for them, uh, in, in my view, to try to really, um, uh, come together, you know, get, get bigger and better together, uh, stronger, uh, have a, have a stronger financial position, um, and, you know, keep the brands separate, but, but play off of each other and, and, you know, build each other up, um, with those brands, uh, working hand in hand. And I think, uh, you know, already having these, these, uh, marketing and brand teams working together in the, in the background, you know, is, is like such an easy step, uh, if only even to save some salaries. I mean, you know, people probably lost their jobs in that situation, which, you know, isn't great, but mm -hmm. from the tourist perspective, I mean, it's, it's a easy way to save money and, and also speak with one voice. So no, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I was gonna say no. It also gets to, and let's just be honest the the aggregating of rights. Like when you can negotiate yeah, exactly. as two right. tours, it it's better than negotiating as one. And when you can promise, hey, not only do you get all of these men's matches, but you get all of the <clears> women's <throat> matches as well. Like again, this is why people have advocated uh, for it for so long, right? Is because it just from an organizational standpoint, it it makes things simpler. Right, but when you when you when you offer two tours, but you speak with one voice, yeah, and so it's like you get all of this, but it's you only have to deal with me. You yeah, know, that that's exactly. that's like uh, that's obviously better. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, is... in, in, in any in any way you would want to frame that outside of this, it's 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 better. It's no, there is no denying that. Um, absolutely, and again, I know uh, I want to be conscious of your time, so I want to let you go shortly. I just have two more brief questions for you uh not related to this ptpa atp wta tour stuff although i will say again to anyone who wants to follow all of brett's coverage of all of this you can follow him again brett uh, brett just one t at on twitter you can follow them sports business daily sports business journal one storyline we've been monitoring in the background new york open moves to dallas They'd been trying to have an ATP event in New York, not U.S. Open related forever. Now, again, it was tough timing because this would have been year three and year three was wiped away by COVID. That said, I mean, I I saw the crowds like I, I don't think we're yeah. getting non-U.S. Open tennis back in New York for a while. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and even I love the black court and but mm -hmm. even it kind of just came off as like gray. <laughs> you know, yeah. because Long Island in, in February is gray, and and it, and you know, I, I I give them credit for for moving it around. Texas has always been a place like if, if you even think about like the original nine, where the Houston um, uh, Tennis Association was like mm -hmm. brand new and basically did anything it could to to support women's tennis, which you know ultimately led to where it is now. Texas is always like when they want something, they like are 
they are into it. And so I, I think um, it's a smart move. I also think uh, I'm hearing also that um, uh, WTA tournament may also be looking at Texas. I, I, I don't have enough to say right now more than that, but that's something I'm looking at as well. So I don't, I'm not sure they're done with, with tennis as well. I think uh, it's, it's um, a good, a good place to have tennis, especially for the former New York open that time of year is, is a, you know, is a pretty good time of year. I mean, it, they get some winter weather, of course, um, mm-hmm. in Dallas, but um, you know, I think that, I think that setup will be really cool, really successful. Um, and, and it kind of, you know, you kind of just shoot across Texas and then head down to Florida, you know, or uh, is it vice versa, Florida to Texas. Um, but Delray, you know, if it stays where it was, I know it liked being first uh, last year, but um, I don't know that that'll be available in the future ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think that's a it's a good move, and and you know it's um, it'd be interesting to see if um, there's any. I, I've always wondered if there ever would be any U.S. Open connection to those or U.S. Open series connection to those events because uh, mm-hmm. you know it would be interesting to get them into the into the fold, especially since um, uh, GF Sports owns mm-hmm. uh, the Truist Atlanta Open as well. Uh, they're the they're the group moving the tournament from New York to Dallas, mm-hmm. um, but haven't seen that yet so no i mean the dallas challenger has frequently been one of the most successful challengers in the north american circuit and dallas as a city whether it's dirk up top all the way down they're ready to embrace a professional event there's no denying that at the same time to your point yeah i think the court color perfectly epitomizes everything that went wrong with the new york open not went wrong just didn't go right i suppose is the better yeah, way it was, of it was a great it. idea but like it it it, it sort of just didn't it didn't Come stick. Quite right. It didn't hold you know, like, yeah. in that venue. Yeah. No, I agree, so. and that happens. And so again, um, that that was just something that has developed over the past few uh, months. And then the last thing I have to ask you, because I think my favorite moment, perhaps in podcast history, was when you last came on and predicted. Was it Sloan Stevens to win the <laughs> U.S. Open? I think that was that was the peak yeah. for me. And so I got to give you the chance, part two, Wimbledon picks. Name them for me, Brett. Uh, all right. Um, I, for the record, there's only like the answer on the men's side is obvious. Djokovic. Yeah, yeah exactly. You can pull a name out of a hat on the women's side and maybe be right. So, like, if you say Sloan, there's a chance. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mock you. Sviantek. Ah, I there. Just, I just uh, like her name. I I love it. I love it. Well, Brett, thank you, as always, for taking the time to chat. I want to give you one last opportunity for all of our listeners out there who want to read your work, hear more from you. Where can they do so? Yeah, Brett, just one T, and the one is the number one. And then uh, sportsbusinessjournal.com. We've we've got a free newsletter on there. Uh, you have to subscribe to everything else and, and help uh, pay for my child's college. But, um, <laughs> you know, there is there is some free stuff on there, and uh, – you know, it's pretty interesting. It's a different way to look at sports for sure than just, you know, scores, results, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think the PTPA should hire you for framing because that's an excellent way of framing what your salary does. I love that. That is that I'm in. Yes. Help pay. I'm a professional framer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, Brad, thank you as always for taking the time. Stay hey, safe. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. Take care, my friend. 
Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. Expect to hear more from him in the next few weeks. We had to leave a couple of topics on the table, such as the U.S. Open Pro Series, the impact of having crowds at these smaller events. Once again, what that does for the revenue of all of these tournaments. And again, we're starting to see further and further the impact of COVID, the financial impact in particular on the professional tennis world. As that impact continues to manifest itself, there is no one covering that more closely than Brett. So again, be on the lookout for him. We'll say post-Wimbledon as that U.S. Open series gets underway. I think that's when we'll have him next. So a huge thank you to him. And sinceriously, if you're not following at Brett with uh, at Brett just one T on Twitter, Brett McCormick's Twitter handle, you are missing out. There's few, if any person better at the sports business beat in particular as it relates to tennis than Brett. So again, thank you to him for taking the time to chat today. But of course, some of you may be may be wondering, Alex, where's the Wimbledon coverage? Rest assured, you can find all of it on our website, crackrackets.com. We've talked top men's contenders on this podcast feed. I talked dark horses all week long on our mini break podcast feed. We'll have draw previews coming later this weekend as well. We'll have some writing on our website, crackrackets.com. We're trying to cover all facets of the year's third Grand Slam. So again, be on the lookout for all of that coverage on our website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends at Turna Tennis. Remember, Turna uh, to join the Turna team. Contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800 554 3707. As always, I will lastly throw in like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Mini Break Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast. You don't want to miss any of our coverage of the 2021 Wimbledon. And so ensure you are signed up on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. But with that in mind, for our wonderful guests, Brett McCormick, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Turn to Tennis, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>